Simon could easily just keep the peace with Gavin, but he chooses the property that he thinks is going to be best for his client. Yeah, correct. And again, we, we saw it in season one, and I'm really glad that we're seeing it again now, is that ultimately at the forefront of every pivotal moment of the show and every decision that each of these agents make, it really is a client-first prospect every time, and that doesn't waver. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. Each episode, we bring you behind-the-scenes supplier news, developments, exclusive interviews, technology and more to help you list more, sell more and elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. Now, here is your host... Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast, a special episode of the Elevate Podcast in which we will be recapping all six episodes of Season 2 of Lux Listings, currently available on Amazon Prime. Once again, I am joined by real estate coach, trainer, Wagga's finest, Dave Scow. Hi, Sam. How are you? Great to have you back um, on on the show and I believe um, you've got an announcement pending about what you're up to next. Yeah, I do. So uh, excitingly, I sold my business last year, as you know, uh, and I am joining the wonderful Kylie Walsh and Lauren Kirk as directors of Regrowth Consultancy. So we'll be looking to uh, offer training and coaching and consultancy services to agents all up and down the Eastern Seaboard with a real focus on scale, sustainability, leadership, uh, and all the things that make uh, good agency operations tick. That is super exciting, and we wish you all the best for your new adventure, which I think is really in line with what we're doing here with our Lux Listings recaps, um, which is like adding a bit of real estate industry flavour and a bit of national flavour to what is going on in Season 2 of Lux Listings Sydney. Yeah, 100%. I think it's one of those things where we are looking at it through the real estate lens and not just through the consumer lens who's looking at it to look at these beautiful homes on the the waterfront in the eastern suburbs and the North Shore as it happens in season two. Um, But yeah, we're casting a real estate observation over over the episodes. Yeah, can't can't wait. And the other thing too with with doing these recaps, because obviously last week we recapped all of season one, um, all in one go. So if you want to go and check out those recaps to get up to speed, we'll leave some links in the show notes. But um, in addition to that, Dave, I'm told we actually need a name for the show. Like all of the, all of these podcasts and things like that, which recap famous shows like, um, you know, Talking Tribal, which we're both very familiar with. And even I think there's some sort of chat show for Married at First Sight. What are we going to call our show? I had suggested the Deluxe Nuts. Yeah, look, I like the Deluxe Nuts. I think the Deluxe Nuts uh, (laughs) really plays into what it is that we talk about and and the personality that we bring to the podcast. So, look, if you're happy, I'm happy. Well, that's it. Well, So welcome, everyone, to Episode 2 of the Deluxe Nuts. That's you and me, Dave. Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so obviously, you and I have sat down and we've watched episodes one, two, and three. Uh, for me, it was like eating a block of chocolate nonstop. What about for you? Yeah. Look, I think um, it's really interesting, and we'll explore the differences between season one and season two in, in this podcast. It's interesting to see how I think the, the main players in the season have 
really cotton on to this as being much more of a PR exercise for themselves than what they may have realised at the start. Um, I think all of them sort of make mention of the fact that since season one of Lux Listings aired, uh, that their phones have been running hot from prospective clients and it has actually resulted in dollar productive business for them and not just fan mail. Yeah, well, we are we are about to see the the result of that, I think, because and I should mention um, that if you haven't watched episodes one, two, three, and you don't want to see the spoilers, switch this video off now <laughs> and come back to it a bit later on, because there are quite a few spoilers that, that Dave and I are going to touch on um, in this video, including some of the things that have happened uh, to the agents, to the stars of the show. That's Simon Cohen, Gavin Rubenstein and Delene Lewis as a result of Lux Listings. So get up to speed on season one if you haven't watched episodes one two and three amazon prime is the place to go i think you can actually get a free 30-day trial of amazon prime if you don't have one can i just say um amazon delivered in season one um and i think they've delivered again in season two like as i said it's like uh it's like someone handing you a big real estate chocolate and saying here you can eat all of this at once and call it a diet <laughs> So before we get stuck into it, I'd really like to thank our series sponsor for the Deluxe Nuts, as we're calling it now, uh, which is Issue.com. Issue is a great service that helps agents, marketers, and really anyone who wants to make content, um, get it online, make it simple and easy, easier than emailing a PDF, which you've got to download and you know press the mouse button several times on. And um, Issue saves you all of that because it opens up in a beautiful document, a beautiful deluxe document um, online. And also also, you can't embed a video in a PDF and you can on Issue. So Issue as a special deal for Elite Agent listeners and readers are offering 50% off a premium account when you go to issue.com and put in the code ELITE. And all of that stuff will be in our show notes and we are super, super, super pumped and thankful to have Issue supporting our show. And also you can read Elite Agent on Issue. Did you know that, Dave? I did know that. Actually, I have picked up a couple of elite agent um, magazines through issue that I had missed because I had a little bit of time off after selling the business. So yes, I'm recently familiar with, with what issue do. Well, there you go. Issue.com forward slash elite agent mag. And I think with that, we should get on to episode one. So overall impressions, Dave. Uh, look, I think that I don't know if everyone thought that season one was going to be the the roaring success that it was. Um, I think that a lot of people thought or wondered whether it was going to be the Australian version of Million Dollar Listing New York or LA, or if it was going to be a bit more homegrown than that. And I think it's a really nice, it was a really nice hybrid of both. And I think that's why it hit such a broad audience. Um, and I know a lot of the people that I've spoken to outside of industry, obviously everyone in the industry has got a bit of a vested interest in seeing what it's all about. But the average Joe Punter uh, on the street it really um, resonated with them, I suppose, because everyone's had a dealing with an agent and ultimately, whether that agent is selling these $20 McMansions uh, in Vaucluse or they're selling the average $450,000 priced home uh, in the suburbs of Wagga, the common themes to what makes a good agent are always the same. And I think that everyone could relate to whether they were Team Simon or Team Gavin or Team Delene and who they warmed to most. And I think that this season, particularly in episode one, uh, it's really going to drive that even further and we're going to get to have a bit more of a look at these these three individuals, plus the bonus fourth, which we'll talk about in a tick, who I'm really excited about. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good carry-on from, from that first season. 
Yeah, well, I, I love Monica too. She is one of my favourites. Um, you know, I feel like she's real estate's Lucy Lou. Like, you know, she she 100%. almost looks like she stepped she stepped off the um, stepped off the Charlie's Angels set. Yeah. <laughs> but instead of fighting bad guys, she's um, she's she's about to do real estate. And I think the the lovely thing, like watching the opener, because the first episode is quite a bit longer than the other episode running links because they've got about a 10 minute trailer on the front with some little grabs all the way through and I love the way she's sitting in the chair going I'm on Lux listings don't I look skinny I think that's every woman's dream and Um, from this very first introduction I think that you could really start the Lux listings drinking game and having a shot for every time Monica too said darling and look you'd be absolutely maggot by the end of the first episode but she's such a character I love her I love Monica too yeah, I want some sort of a bingo card with all the colours of the rainbow and we can tick them off as as we see a, her walk out with a bag in that colour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wouldn't take long, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I think that one would be over pretty quick. But um, they were talking about how last like this was obviously filmed last year when the Sydney market was going bonkers and there's no other word to describe it. There were a lot of markets around Australia going bonkers, but particularly Sydney. Um, how do you think that's going to impact on the stories that we'll hear um, over this season? I think that we see the real shift um in the favour of the, the selling agents, so Gavin and Deline particularly, and away from Simon a little because the job of a buyer's agent in such a hot market becomes that much more difficult because stock's low, um, deals are being done within record times for record prices, which is absolutely against everything that, that the typical buyer's agent would be gunning for in a, a, a long drawn out process to get the best result for their buyer client, which is ultimately the lowest price possible. So we see that in this episode, which is a really interesting take. And it probably, for those who have seen Simon in season one, he's quite bullish. Um, he's very funny in the arrogance of absolutely tearing every house that he goes through to shreds. Um, we don't see much of that this time because he just doesn't have the, the ball in his court like he did uh, when the market was a little softer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the first house that we go to, which is um, which is called the Crypt- Crypto Castle, and um, it starts with a bang. Out jumps Fred Shabester, I think, in a in a Versace uh, pajama set or tracksuit. I mean, if it's Versace, do you call it a pajama set? Do you call it a tracksuit? I think Gianni would uh, would have your guts for garters if you called it a pajama set. But it is custom <laughs> Versace from head to toe. Uh, it's got Crypto King emblazoned at, on the back of it. This guy is absolutely next level. Uh, Shabesta was not someone that I was really familiar with before this episode, and I've done a bit of Googling and research on him since. Uh, and look, I think that this wasn't hamming it up for camera. I think this is genuinely how this guy operates, and he is a next level. Yeah. And I have to ask you, you know, because we talked about this last episode of, of Deluxe Nuts, um, would they wear it in Wagga? This one is a definite no for with <laughs> um, I think in the uh, waves of conservative fashion down Baylor Street on a Sunday morning, um, this this guy would stick out like absolute delight yeah. and uh, <laughs> he would, um, yeah, he'd probably get run out of town. So a bit too much, a bit too much for Walker. 
Yeah, interesting. So there's, you know, um, so we see Simon pull up and, and, and Gavin's there in the Lambo and there's lots of bras and brews and bros and, you know, some back slapping and Fred walks out all jazz hands and says, I'm in the presence of greatness, I'm in the presence of gods and then makes a really quick exit. Like, you know, if you were in the presence of gods, you'd want to hang around, right? Yeah, no, he wasn't sticking around for love nor money. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Simon sort of says, you know, that this is sick and it's, uh, you know, like I think, hang on a second, wasn't it a vibe last year? Like, you know, so it's a vibe, yeah. must have been very 2021, 2022. And as you said, it's been really hard for Simon being a buyer's agent in this market. So um, I think this is a, a this is a pretty interesting scene, just basically, you know, like slamming all of our senses with everything Sydney, everything sort of harbour, everything Coogee. Um, and then the next... Next step is part resolution of the cliffhanger from the last episode. Yeah, that's right. That cliffhanger was obviously uh, the TRG group out on the boat and Gavin gets the call from the Ray White uh, and has left everyone in suspense. And then uh, Gavin takes the call that he cannot miss um, at the crypto castle. And again, it's the Whites and uh, it's time to set up that face-to-face meeting. There's some good acting chops coming through here with Gavin too. Like, you know, he does look genuinely concerned and um, and they've asked him to go to the house. But, you know, in true Lux listing style, as soon as there's a cliffhanger, they beam us off to somewhere else. So um, so now we're, now we're back at Cohen Handler. Correct. That's right. And we're talking uh, the, the, the first scenes back in the Cohen Handler building. And as we prefaced in the season one recap, Fan fave, Liam, no longer. Throwing um, his buff into the, throwing his, his buff in. Yeah. And he has got um, a, a lobby full of potential candidates who seem all very staged and there's whispers between the girls saying, oh, that's Simon, that is the uh, Cohen from Cohen Handler. Look, it was a little bit naff for me, but uh, interesting to see that they've acknowledged Liam uh, very first up. Um, something that they didn't do with Daniela, who we talked about not being with Delene anymore. She sort of doesn't get a mention at all in, in this, um, the start to season one. Um, but yeah, look, we go to, to the other fan favourite, which is Simon's mum, Jen. Um, and she's there absolutely having a conniption about how much work that she's had to take on since Liam's left and fielding the calls from Simon's eligible suitors or bachelorettes <laughs> and uh, just the volume of work. And I imagine that the volume of work is also genuinely in line with market conditions and those people who may not have otherwise looked at using a buyer's agent but just cannot get a result in finding a property themselves because of the um, the state of the market, uh, turning to, to someone like Cohen Handler who now have amazing presence um, because of the result of season one, obviously outside of everything they've done on their own right as well. Um, so I imagine that, yeah, Simon's phone is probably genuinely running hot. Yeah. An interesting observation, I think, you know, like in the newsroom of Elite Agent over the last six months, we've had way more buyers agents, you know, sort of attacking us with press releases and things like that. And, you know, I attribute that directly to Simon's work on this show because he's actually made, you know, like I remember when I started um, in real estate, you know, like in, in for Sold Magazine even years ago, buyers agents would contact me and they'd want to get in the magazine. And I was terrified to put them in there because listing agents, you know, weren't the biggest fans of buyers agents. But I think, you know, like what Simon's done here is he's really sort of blazed a trail and there's buyers agents just popping up everywhere now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, places like Wagga, 
get the um, the investor side of this uh, a lot. Like we probably in the last 18 months or two years have been inundated with buyer agent, buyer's agent inquiries looking for the the regional investment for these city-based investors, whether they're from Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Canberra. Um, so yeah, the advent of the buyer's agent has definitely come to the fore. And even though, shameless plug, Regrowth Consulting has got the first buyer's agent retreat coming up from a, from a training point of view. Um, I can't remember ever there being a buyer's agent specific um, course or, or training activity just for buyer's agents. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an emerged um, segment of, of the real estate industry. Yeah, and I think, you know, like a good one too, because I mean, this is sort of taking things on a bit of a tangent, but um, I do think that um, these days, you know, even listing agents don't mind dealing with the buyer's agent because it kind of takes the emotional middleman out of it, um, you know, and they can kind of, you can see it on shows like The Block and stuff like that, that, you know, the listing agent doesn't doesn't mind dealing with the buyer's agent at all these days. Yeah, 100%. And gone are the days where there's that there was that, us and them sort of mentality between buying and selling agents. Uh, it's, it's definitely a much more collaborative approach, mainly because I think buyers agents really bring to the transaction uh, a great deal of value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Jen, MVP of season one, Jen is saying no more, Simon, I'm tired of interviewing your girlfriends. I just feel like that Jen should get Osha Gunsberg on the phone, as I said to you last episode. And, uh, you know, we should take that Simon Fabacci 2023 campaign up a notch. That will just solve everyone's problems. And I think even even Tammy, Tammy, yeah, hashtag Simon Fabacci. I reckon that that'll work. and then, you know, Tammy's even looking a bit over sort of hearing about Simon's girlfriends because she's now married and um, and she is about, well, so we're about to resolve this, um, you know, one of the other cliffhangers from last season, which was Tammy trying to decide should she stay or should she go? Yeah, that's right. And Delene uh, was absolutely on the hunt for talent like Tammy. Uh, if she was to make the jump out of buyer's agency into the, the role of a sales agent, um, but yeah, it's, it's addressed early on in this episode, which uh, I like because I think that it was a storyline that um, needed a bit of resolution from the last season and it's quickly put to bed. Uh, Tammy tells Simon that he knows where her loyalties lie. Uh, she's got no real aspirations to get into sales agency, I, I don't think, it seems. Um, and look, I think Delaney knew that that was probably going to be the answer as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's have a moment for the house. So Tammy's off to a buyer's agent appointment with Delene at the entertainer's house. And Simon describes it as something that a UFO came down to earth, landed on Bellevue Road, and that's the entertainer's house. So just walk us through um, what you saw there. I think it's the ultimate pandemic house. I think that this uh, obviously built pre-pandemic, but the owners would have absolutely had the benefit of isolating in uh, this amazing abode, I think, which is probably a little bit like a bunker. Um, it was this UFO looking thing amongst these grand old homes. And we got a little glimpse at what the home, uh, the original home that was on that block looked like because Delene sold that some years prior. Uh, and it was interesting to see what the, the current owners had done. Look, it was, um, it was an amazing property. I think it really ticks those property porn aspects of what Lux Listings is um, to the average viewer. Um, I think that it was the kind of property that 
I suppose the, the price was hard on this. Um, it, it wasn't something that there would be an exact apple to compare with. Um, and it was an interesting um, look at how Delene talks price with the buyer's agents here. Um, and then we, we get a, a glimpse a little bit later in this episode at what the eventual result was. And uh, look, there, there was a big disparity. And, and that's obviously um, due to the state of the market um, and due to a lot of things yeah, I, I was interested to see what, what, what she thought it was worth and then what it sold for. Yeah, it, that that was a really interesting. It was almost like, um, you know, you could see Tammy's progression from last year where she, I think she made the, um, you know, she made the quip to Delene that she doesn't have buyers that like overpaying. And Delene says, darling, it's my job to get them to overpay. <laughs> and, I, you know, like, and I thought, again, Queen, <laughs> like, you know. And it was uh, the Queen giving an absolute schooling to Tammy, I think. Um, Tammy was quite quick and, and a little blunt in some of the, the quips that she was throwing out about the house. And at no point did Queen Delene look the slightest bit rattled and, and she had an answer for everything and she was the consummate professional in the way she delivered those uh, rebuttals as well. Yeah, absolutely earned that crown. Yeah, absolutely. And I think worthy of note too is, um, you know, something that we saw playing out uh, in the media last year was the Lang and Simmons, um, well, it was Delene and Leanne and a bunch of other Lang and Simmons agents actually buying out the franchise, which is something that we, we hardly ever see. And we see, um, you know, I was talking to Leanne Pilkington actually, and she said, I've, I've read your Lux listings recaps from, um, from last year. What are you planning on calling me? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Queen of Queens, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like we see Leanne get on the phone and say, I want to have a meeting with you. And, and Delene says, oh, oh, you know, like it's kind of a bit like Gavin with the white situation, like, oh, oh it's God calling, um, you know, I, I better pay attention. So uh, that'll be an interesting meeting coming up, maybe this episode or in episode two, I can't remember, but let's, um, let's, move, let's move on. I think we get sunrise, sunset, more rap music. The rap music. Heaps <laughs> of rap music. Um, and I think the next scene is Gavin and Jared again, sort of the bro code, grow this, we're on the same page, yada, yada. Um, you know, kind of reminds me of that, you know, I eat risk for breakfast and stay the course. And yep, 100%. And brothers pumping each other's tyres up like there is no tomorrow. And look, it works for them. They're, they're obviously very disciplined in terms of how they structure their days and uh, getting that done in the morning and... and Grouping together with sort of Gavin in charge and, and Jared as the um, the brains behind the operation, for want of a better word. Um, yeah, it, it's nice to see that insight. Uh, but yeah, look, it's a little bit high fives and bum taps for me. <laughs> uh, let's just leave it at we love their morning routine. Correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, so speaking of morning routine, so Gavin goes from um, being, you know, absolutely smashed by his brother, you know, in a workout sense into the office and it looks like everyone's happy at TRG. So that was another cliffhanger. Um, you know, Shani and, and Remy, um, I think he calls a Rembo or Rambo or something like that. Um, sitting in the boardroom, um, Gavin says, why are you girls sitting in the boardroom? And they say it's because we're taking over no they don't it could be that patrick's on a juice cleanse again because that was a bit of an awkward moment from season one um 
But yeah, the, the conversation turns to the meeting with the Whites because obviously Remy controls Gavin's diary to within an inch of its life. Yep. And, um, you know, her take on it's quite interesting, yeah? Yeah, 100%. And look, I think that it's a really interesting play by Ray White Corporate and also Lang and Simmons Corporate to allow the access that this show has had into some of the behind the scenes workings. And we'll talk about the meeting with Gavin and the Whites uh, shortly, but um, their involvement in a show like this, um, I think that it probably wasn't that long ago when there would have been brand and marketing experts within groups like this that would have said, no way, don't go near anything like this. Um, so look, kudos to them for, for getting on the front foot, I suppose, and, and giving that little sneak peek, how much of it's scripted and how much of it is genuine. I think that the the moral of the story that they're telling is absolutely genuine, uh, although perhaps a little bit scripted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so interestingly, this is where Monica sort of inserts herself into the picture as well. Um, yep. You know, like, so Kai, looking all very handsome and debonair and everything like that, says, I just got an email from Monica, who used to be his boss. Yep. Um, and then we learn something. So, you know, pick up your pencils, kids. This is important. Learn how to learn at least one sentence of 30 different languages like Kai has so that you can tell your ex-boss that she's beautiful in her own native language. Um, Gavin asks what it's about. Monica wants to co-list a property in, property in St. Leonard's. Gavin says, I've got no interest. And, you know, like, I've got to be honest with you, my, my reaction was, and I lived in North Sydney for many years. I lived in Neutral Bay for many years. Every time someone tried to get me to St. Leonard's, I'd be like, oh, St. Leonard's. <laughs> like, um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I, I must admit, I felt a bit, I felt a bit like Gavin there, but, you know, like there's more to the story, yeah? Yeah, there is more to the story. And look, it was probably a little bit of a missed opportunity by Gavin, I think. Um, he was very quick to dismiss it um, without sort of further exploration. It did seem, and I think, again, it was just a case of editing and, and maybe some scripting, that there may have been some previous, um, not necessarily bad blood, but um, Gavin really wasn't interested in Monica, let alone interested in dealing with a penthouse in St Leonard's. Um, so, yeah, look, we, we, we circle back around to this with um, a party that, that Monica throws at the St Leonard's apartment. And again, I think that it's probably something that Gavin probably could have shown a little bit better leadership on. Um, he was probably quick to dismiss it, a bit too quick to dismiss it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like even if, um, you know, someone like in the team does want to go and pursue something that, you know, perhaps the leader doesn't want to pursue, it'd be, it'd be good if, um, you know, it'd be good to demonstrate some support. I mean, I know that this has been dramatised and probably, you know, like Gavin is very, very supportive of of all of his team. But, um, yeah, it just came across as a bit, well, no, if you want to go for it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so... We head over to St. Leonard's, St. Leonard's, not on the train. Like, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only reason you want to live in St. Leonard's is if you're working in that big building, if you're working for IBM or wanted to be close to a train. And I think if you're buying an $18.5 million penthouse, you're probably not travelling by train. But um, <laughs> but anyway, Simon, Simon, I think, does a bit of a surhant here. And um, the building is not up yet, so they they go into the construction zone. Monica is all furs and beauty, and oh my god, I love that woman. I think when I, I want to come back one day as 
as Monica too yeah. with her handbag collection. Um, but, um, you know, Simon, Monica says, you're going to have to get dressed for this. And, and you know, Simon looks at her blankly and she holds up a high vis. <laughs> and I think I saw Ryan Serhant do something exactly the same in the last season of Million Dollar Listing. Like, oh, like, you know, what what is that? Yeah, and he was itching to get it off as soon as he got up to the penthouse, really. Like, he was not interested in wearing the high vis or the helmet for that matter. We can see that he's had a fresh cut for the season. He's uh, supporting a, a much more cropped hairstyle. Um, and look, he certainly didn't want to mess up those locks with the, uh, the old hard hat. After they toured the construction site and Simon finally went, oh, blur, finally I can get this high vis off. Simon, come to Arik and help us set up one year. You'll get used to it. <laughs> You'll get used to being a roadie. Um, but, um, yeah, so then we went into the actual display suite, which is really, like, I think um, – I was trying to picture crown towers in my head, you know, when the tower was going up. But it wasn't till I got invited to it into a display suite somewhere else that you can really look, feel, touch. And this display suite was amazing. So tell us a bit about Grand Sky Penthouse. I think uh, any kind of off-the-plan sale or sale midway through construction is always going to be a real uh, hard sell. Um, and the fact that they had... Uh, a mini replica, I suppose, that showed finishes and, and quality um, of fixtures and fittings a couple of levels below um, definitely is the way that they'll try and market that and, and try and get a buyer secured pre-settlement or pre-completion. Um, the tour of the mini version of the Grand Sky Penthouse was oozing with absolutely everything that you would expect from a Monica 2 listing. Um, it was Fendi, 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 Fendi everywhere, Fendi bedding, Fendi beds, uh, Fendi couches. Um, I've never seen so much Fendi in one spot. I've never seen much Fendi in my life, but I've never seen so much Fendi in one spot in my I, life. I, I almost forgot I was in St. Leonard's. Well, and I think that is the point. I think that is the point. that's exactly why um, the all of a sudden, and, and Monica really pushes this point to Simon at the inspection, that once you step out, once you see the view that you've got, once you see the dimensions, because it's a large penthouse apartment, um, all of a sudden that little bit of extra distance from uh, what probably is the Point Piper of that lower North Shore area um, is, and, and with just a, a, probably a couple of train stops up the road in St Leonard's, it's not that big a deal anymore for, for the right buyer. So look, it was a good play on Monica's behalf, I think. Yeah, I think too, like, you know, the reason that you'd go to St. Leonard's is, you know, that inner city sort of pocket is so expensive these days. And look, I've lived on all sides of Sydney. I've, I've lived in the east, I've lived in the inner west, and I've lived on the north side. And, you know, like I can remember moving from the east to the inner west. I mean, the inner west has gotten a lot more bougie now as it is anyway. But it's almost like if you can't afford the east and can get exactly the same thing in the north or the, or the west or even the south, perhaps, perhaps, um, you know, do you need to be that close to the city as as you did before the pandemic when it was like, okay, I've got two stops to the city and can get to the office and I need the city pad. And I think, it, you know, like people are sort of starting to get more, you know, spread out and more willing, you know, particularly yeah. if the cost per square meter comes down. And that's exactly where Monica was very quick to um, sort of show those comparisons to Simon when he was so against the price at $18.5 million uh, is the comparative price per square metre, which is a, about two and a half times less than, than 
the, the same kind of products in the centre of Sydney. So, uh, again, she's well-researched. She knows her stuff. Um, there's, there's not a real easy opportunity to get one past Monica too, I don't think. And, um, yeah, she backed, us up, backed herself up well. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to head back over to the north side in a second, but um, we're off to the we're off to the White House in Point Piper, um, and I kind of look, you know looked at this as usual with my cynical eye and thought, is this really the White House or is it just an Airbnb that they've used for filming or one of Kyle Sandilands as mates or you know whatever? But you know, like as soon as you walk in, the artwork is spectacular. So it's like, yes, this is the White House. Yeah, definitely not an Airbnb. Um, and I think that the White's Pink House, as it is, um, which, look, not my cup of tea on external colour, I'd be having that painted in a, in a jiffy, but uh, the house itself is obviously in one of the best positions uh, in Point Piper and the gun barrel views down to every landmark that you can imagine uh, on the city side of things. It, it was a phenomenal location. Um, yeah. And we, we get to see... A little bit of the inside of the house um so gavin's met at the front door by dan white our managing director of, of ray white corporate um and he's given a little bit of a tour inside gavin inherently switches to real estate agents and is starting to appraise this place <laughs> as they walk through it and and he's saying all the right words that you'd say to any potential vendor Dan quickly picks him up and says, mate, we're not here to talk about the house. Let's go downstairs and meet um, the absolute patriarch of or one of the patriarchs of Bray White, um, being Brian, who's waiting down there on the wall. Yeah, and this was a really interesting meeting because it's funny, you know, like I've interviewed Dan and I've interviewed Brian and the two the two of them, I mean, you know, like all of the White family that I've met are just, you know, really really lovely people so i reckon there was a fair bit of producing going on in this scene like there was lots of uh pausing like yeah. you know slowing down the footage it was like it was like watching the bold and the beautiful a bit you could see brian turn his head and then you could see dan turn his head yeah. and then one of them looked like they were crying and i reckon that was just because it was cold and the producers had them sitting there for a long time like yeah. um yeah. but it actually did look like it was sort of building the drama um so end of the drama llamas and um gavin finally sort of you know breaks the silence with am i in trouble <laughs> like, yeah that's right and i think that gives us a bit of an insight that gavin i think must have had a bit of an idea on what this meeting was going to be about and that it probably wasn't going to be all uh, rainbows and skittles because um essentially it, it wasn't i mean they were very um adoring about what he's brought to the group and how long he's been with Ray White and um, how exceptionally well he's done since branching out on his own. Um, but ultimately they they give him a bit of a, mate, we need you to just pull the handbrake on a little bit on these grand expansion plans that you've got running through your head. There's been an interesting trend in the real estate industry. I mean, you know, like Ray White are an amazing group, an amazing business, but you see um, a lot of these your brand, your business groups kind of popping up all over the place. Um, and I think this is a really interesting perspective and there's probably some people sitting there thinking, well, you know, there are pros and cons to this. I'd love to be a part of Ray White because then I get people like Macca in my life, um, you know, and I get their amazing data lake and I get you know, like all of the all of the wonderful things that go with being part of that group. But then, you know, like what if I just want to run my own show and expand? Yeah, 100%. And it has been the advent of a lot of these, as you said, your brand kind of operations uh, that has probably made people think, 
more so than ever before in the history of, of real estate, apart from the traditional franchise model that there's now this sort of hybrid that sits in the middle somewhere that gives you some of the benefit of, of what a franchisee can give you at maybe not as much expense as what franchise fees typically could be um, and without the constraints that a franchise group may have over your business. So, yeah, look, interesting. And again, kudos to Ray White Corporate for allowing this conversation to be so, um, again, probably scripted, but but quite um, uh, quite revealing, I suppose, about what the intentions are of the group and, and where Gavin fits in to the group. Equally is interesting, I think, um, you know, and this is, you know, one place where I really do, um, you know, resonate with something that Gavin said, which is just because one person is prospering doesn't mean another can't. And I think, you know, like if more people sort of felt that way in the in the real estate industry, there might be some more collaboration, there might be some more people coming together to help each other rather than just, you know, like some of the, you know, competition or the, you know, the other side that we which we probably don't like to talk about. Yeah, and ultimately that's the the benefit side of belonging to a franchise group. I mean, some of the best things about belonging to a group like Ray White would be the fact that you are joined as a business owner with the likes of the Josh Teslins and the Gavin Rubensteins and, and all of those top performers, Vivian Yap in Western Australia, um, and, and having those people in your corner, even if you're not working with them day to day, but having them under the same brand, that's got to show some kind of value. I feel like there's a Jerry Maguire memo in there for us, Dave, like <laughs> somewhere. Um, but anyway, uh, so Dan says, I know you want to grow, Gavin, but I need you to slow down. And it's like, dun, 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 credits roll. Yep. Next episode. Next episode uh, brings us to episode two. So again, the Lux Listings producers love a cliffhanger. Um, they've done it to us again. Thankfully, we don't have to wait long to get the second episode because they've dropped all three at once. Um, but that brings us straight into Gavin and his new favourite mode of transport, which seems to be apparent in season two, which is uh, chartered speedboat to absolutely anywhere that he wants to go. And shit, if I was selling and having all of my appointments on the waterfront, I think I would charter a speedboat as well. <laughs> much better than that New South Wales road uh, at peak hour or school hours uh, on a weekday afternoon. Um, water is definitely the way to get around. So we see Gav meeting up with uh, Shani and Remy at the boathouse. Uh, and obviously, as you said before, Remy um, uh, handles Gav's day-to-day -day life within 15-minute intervals, it seems. Uh, so she's all over the conversation with the Whites and wanting to know uh, the tea on, on how that meeting went down. But more importantly, Remy drops the bombshell that she's got some news uh, and her and Shania are there and it sort of pans to each of their faces and there's a bit of suspense. And uh, Remy tells us that she's pregnant. Oh, little with a little baby Gav as um, you know, like he's quick to point out when she announces that it's a boy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. This is a real um, interesting take on how I think a lot of real estate principals handle the news that your right hand and the person that you can't envis envision doing business without um, is all of a sudden not going to be at your side and at your beck and call for a period of time, and as happy as Gav is for Remy personally I think that he is really taken aback by this news and um, first thoughts in head is shit what am I going to do mm. well they, they you know like when when Dan says I need you to slow down a bit Gav I think that you know that probably was what was going through his head I, it looks like I've just had an enforced slowdown yeah. but um, 
you know, it, it is it is interesting with all the issues like, you know, Gavin says to us something like, so what is it, a week off you'll need? Or yeah, <laughs> And then goes on and tells Shanine that she can't have a baby now until Remy's back and they can't have babies together. And obviously all very tongue-in-cheek, but uh, our friends Brian Wilcox and Anna Ebry at Reef would absolutely have a field day with the way that the principal <laughs> is talking to their staff about their pregnancy entitlements. But look, as I said, it was all, it was all a laugh. It was, it was good fun. I can I can see how um, I can see him in the comments immediately. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for for sure. That's all nice. They kind of wrapped that scene up. I really made me want to go back to the boathouse in Sydney. Maybe maybe my husband will take me. It's incredible seafood there. Yeah. Incredible spot. Um, but uh, Gavin hops back in the Lambo this time. So he's given up the speedboat and he's got um, Simon on the phone. And this is one of my, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to do this in, in Wagga. But, and, and I have never heard of it before, except perhaps, you know, maybe there was something that sort of resembled it on Million Dollar Listing. Um, a co-listing party. I mean, what is that? It's weird. Like, it was, it was weird. <laughs> I think, like, co-listings are pretty rare anyway they're not the norm obviously and to be monica too and to invite four or five options i suppose and almost frame it as if to say well you come to the party and in front of all of your peers you tell me why you should be the one chosen to have the um the privilege of co-listing this 18 and a half million dollar penthouse in st leonard's it was i don't know it was odd was it made for tv perhaps does would it have happened in real life Probably not, but it is a really good way for us to see um, these different real estate personalities, I suppose, in one room. It definitely has the makings of possibly being a shit fight. And that was the first thing I thought was, why? Why, Monica, do you want to get all of these people in the same room at the same time? But... It's like Real Housewives, you know, like you have to have like a penultimate sort of scene so that there can be some conflict of some kind. Like, you it's know, like a mass wanna... dinner party. It's a mass dinner party all over. It's where you get all the people <laughs> that you know that hate each other in the same room at the same time, throw in some champagne, uh, throw in a host who is absolutely unfiltered in terms of what she says. <laughs> you put yourself a party. Yep, absolutely. So Gavin says, I'm not going. You can go. Like, again, to Kai, like, you know, off off you go. But um, we learn that Gavin's got bigger fish to fry. So he's off to his mate George Toomer's place, which is on a clifftop. I think it's Coogee, um, four bedrooms, four bathrooms. And for me, um, you know, this is a spectacular house. And so far, you know, like I've watched the first three episodes, this is the house of the first three episodes. So um, what was your reaction to this house? Yeah, 100%. Look, I don't go well with heights and the the positioning of this place on the cliff and the amazing, amazing rooftop balcony or entertaining area that this place has got made me feel a little bit giddy looking at it on the screen. But I don't think that there is much better position anywhere in Sydney in terms of cliff front. Um, surely. Like, it was spectacular. It's only a few years old. Um, George Toomer is the most house-proud man uh, that I've seen, uh, and he says that he's got a problem with OCT in the episode. Uh, and it was it was show-home quality. It was stunning. Yeah, yeah I, I think so too. And um, there was a good bit of, um, I don't know if you picked it up or not, but a good bit of Amazon product placement in there. Alexa, show me the view. And, um, you know, and up comes the blinds and you just see this amazing panorama and some, you know, some um, 
whales jumping around and you know it sort of occurred like this show must be so hard to put together actually yeah. like you know how how could you possibly look out and at that moment see whales um yeah, i think there's but, a lot of people on surely but it was it was good yeah i, I think they've been to we've got that b-roll.com but yes. um <laughs> um gavin's line in this this scene for me was it's more than a view it's a panorama and it just reminded me like you know just oh god just a little bit of daryl kerrigan like yeah. you know <laughs> you can't buy what i've got yeah, <laughs> um you know so but you know like there there is there is nothing in me that you know if if i had a briefcase of 17 or 18 million i'd be smacking it down in front of george Toomer and saying when can i move in yeah 100 percent. me too and look i think that this brings up the um handshake that george gives him then after a very quick um, deliberation as to whether or not he's even interested in selling and says yep let's do it effort let's let's go um gave straight on the phone to simon the buyer's agent to get him through straight away Obviously, in real life, I'm sure that this conversation has happened already. I'm sure that Gavin's got the signed agency agreement and the contract from the solicitor and everything is absolutely above board. It's a real dramatisation. I know that there were a couple of points in season one where some agents were saying, oh, you can't even do that because he didn't have a contract or he's showing people through. Come on, guys, like, let's let's be real. All this stuff has happened. It's, it's made for TV. Um, and, yeah, there's no doubt that um, legislatively and compliance-wise, uh, everything would be above board. It's just like one of those situations where, you know, people on those kids shows say, now kiddies, don't try this at home or make sure you've got a responsible adult in the room. Like, you know, like what we see on TV isn't isn't always real. So, but it's I just, you know, like, yeah, look, I was still on Gavin's use of adjectives. So it's clear he's been into Wordle for the last 12 months, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of one-liners, absolutely. And look, Delene was always good at these one-liners, and I think that Gav is is really approaching the top. Yeah, absolutely. So Simon gets on the phone, and this this is going to play out over the next couple of episodes. So Simon, so Gavin then gets on the phone to Simon and says, um, "Simon, have you got a buyer?" Simon says, "Yes, I've got someone for like twenty million or something or other." And you know, Gavin says, "Kind of, you know, don't don't mess with me, like you know, on this one because I'm calling in a friendship." And you know, Gavin explains in his confessional, although they don't call it they only call it confessionals in Survivor, right? Yeah, but right. Gavin explains that um, you know he's going out on him here with his mate George who is uh, car supplier extraordinaire um, or car car vendor I don't know if you, what do you what do you even call it purveyor yeah. of luxury for fine fine motor vehicles <laughs> Lamborghini Lamborghini man um, but um, you know Gavin also points out that he's putting his friendship with George on the line and um, you know and doesn't want Simon to mess it up for him so this is clearly very important to him yeah 100% and then we see the phone call between Simon and Gavin straight after Gavin's been given the green light to be able to bring a buyer or a buyer's agent through by the vendor. Uh, and Celine, uh, Simon drops the bomb that he's just gotten off the phone to Delene because he's been shopping around for a clifftop and there's been no stock available. He's had calls in with a number of different sources. And Delene has also now got a clifftop mansion that may fit his buyer's brief. Uh, and that news goes down like a lead balloon it's not a welcome phone call from gavin by any stretch uh, and he really reiterates the fact that he's um, gone out on a limb here he's mixing friendship and business which he doesn't like to do uh and the the famous line which i think we've heard probably 18 times in this episode was simon don't f me on this one um and yeah he's given given him 24 hours 
Yep. Yep. So we'll leave, we'll, we'll park that one. And now we're coming to the penultimate, to the Real Housewives of Melbourne slash uh, Married at First Sight dinner party slash co-listing party. <laughs> Seriously, genius, whoever came up with that idea. Would they? No, they're not going to do that in Wagga, right? No. Uh, look, I doubt it. They'd be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we're treated to, and seriously, I want to put my face in this champagne tower. Like, you know, you can see the labels say Cristal and they've got the champagne tower and waiter in a nice, um, you know, suit is pouring the champagne tower and I'm looking at the caviar and getting hungry and, geez, I hope they have some of it at the red carpet event this week, but I'll, yeah, I'll fill yeah. you in on that next week. Um, you know, enough that, you know, has the boat budget been redirected to champers just to yeah. Um, but um, in walks, you know, just about everyone who's anyone in Sydney real estate. So we meet Monica's husband, Jad. Uh, Michael Pallier walks in. Um, team TRG, Avengers Assemble, they're all together. <laughs> Tammy, Tammy and Simon. Um, a surprise was like, oh, and oh, as with Michael Clark and Sheree Hummel. Um, and, um, you know, Monica makes a comment that, they just look like they've walked off the set of Dancing with the Stars and they'll look seriously. If someone put them on, I'd be there for it. Yeah, um, because they did meet at a salsa class. So, no, I didn't know that um, until you told me that. But, yeah, that's yeah. great. They are definitely real estate's family couple. I love them. I think they're great. Yep. Uh, and then we've got Delene and, and her guys, Sebastian and Jacob. And uh, Monica looks around and says, where's Gavin? Um you know, and uh, yeah, so that's a bit of an awkward moment. A little bit awkward. And look, Gavin is definitely the very notable absence out of this soiree. Um, the TRG boys are absolutely like the lads at the party. They're high-fiving each other and playing scissors, paper, rock and generally just causing a bit of a ruckus. Um, Clark and Hummel are the epitome of grace uh, and uh, very um, amenable to everyone that's there and, and they're just really beautiful i love them uh tammy and simon uh, are their typical uh dynamic buyers agency duo it's nice to see sebastian in this season we didn't see sebastian last year delene's associate sebastian we did see a fair bit of jacob and he's back um but yeah it's nice to see sebastian we, we see him again um a couple of times throughout this season so that was nice um and obviously michael pallia real estate's favorite nicest agent um, and he had a couple of roles to play in season one. It was nice to see him back here as well. But the whole thing was a little bit awkward. It was just, I, I, I failed to see what the point was, apart from Monica 2 rounding up all of these people for a fight to the death. And, and you tell me why I'm so amazing and why you should get the opportunity to work with me. Again, I think it's for camera. I think it's for the show. It was odd. Everyone was yeah. all behaved. No one was gouging each other's eyes out or anything like that but it's weird. yeah but if you can get away with it uh why not and uh and if you've been invited i'd be there for the drinks 100 <laughs> okay. percent. and i think that it's also goes to show that these relationships in real estate are such a big part of the job particularly for simon obviously because he needs uh the selling agents to be able to provide him access to listings for his buyer clients um, but also the relationships between the agents themselves. And there's a really beautiful moment between Delene and Monica, and they're both very complimentary about each other. Um, Delene gives Monica a, a huge rap um, for, for what she has done with herself and how she's built her success over the years. Um, it's probably a little bit lost on the TRG boys, although Kai 
very, very suave um, throws out that line in Mandarin to Monica uh, and she melts like butter. I think they've got a really good relationship, it would seem, um, from working together in the past. Uh, but yeah, the, the relationship piece is really interesting. It seems like Delene meets um, Michael Clark and Sheree Hummel for the first time. They don't seem to be that familiar with each other. So um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting dynamic. It was nice to see. Interesting. And I know like Kai is very charming. He's like, uh, you know, if Ollie is Harvey Specter, I think Kai is sort of Ridge Forrester. Like, you know, he's <laughs> tall, dark and handsome and yeah. Um, anyway, so let's move, let's move on. Um, they're all, they're all fantastic in their own way. Um, so this gives, um, Simon a bit more of a chance to bond with Monica and he asks Tammy and Simon around for dinner and tells them to bring Jen. So um, so we're about to be treated to um, some traditional Chinese cooking pretty soon but we're zoomed um, back over to the east um, to a, a nice little scene between Delene and Leanne. Yeah, correct. So Leanne, um, who everyone would know as the immediate past president of the REI, um, the organizer of a lot of the women in real estate events, a real advocate for women in industry, a multiple award winner, um, but ultimately the matriarch of the Lang and Simmons group for a very, very long time. Um, and it's nice to see someone that, that you know personally, I know I've known Leanne for a long time, in these episodes. Um, and again, a, a really um, humble nod to Lang and Simmons Corporation for allowing this kind of access into the inner workings of how the franchise group works or, or, or operates um, and again uh, it's a bit of a, a chit chat about women empowerment and, and how amazing Delene thinks Leanne has done within her career and vice versa and that's all very nice but Leanne then comes with the ultimate reason for the meeting and that's that they have the opportunity perhaps to take on the Lang and Simmons corporation by the franchise off the existing franchise owners. Yeah, and this is where you can sort of see a bit of dramatization creeping in as well because, um, you know, if someone said, hey, do you want to buy the company? I'd probably go, yeah, let me think about it and get back to you. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Delene's like, I'm all in. Um, yeah, must correct. have been, must have been the coffee. And, you know, like I, I saw when, when I saw Leanne appear with coffee, I mean, not only does Leanne look fabulous in every scene she's in, um, but, you know, there she was with coffee and I immediately thought, hashtag put your coffee cups out for Daniela. <laughs> like, <laughs> because you remember Daniela was always the one that was sort of balancing coffee and, you know, like, um, you know, it was really, really nice and really humble of, of Leanne to bring that in, I think. And to meet Delene at her house too. I mean, it was... Delene's uh, at home day with the kids and, and we get to see the kids and um, Oki the nanny and things at the start of this scene. Um, so I suppose for, for Leanne to be able to be that flexible and she made it sound like it was a really important opportunity uh, and that it needed to be spoken about straight away. And look, for, for those of us playing along at home, we, we all remember the announcement um, probably this time 12 months ago, maybe a touch longer, about the, the core group of franchise owners taking over Lincoln Simmons Corporation from um, from the Dexa group at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So we're on the, on our way back 
Um, so actually, well, you know, like I was looking at some of the scenery around that and it doesn't automatically mean that, um, you know, that that's where Delene lives. But I noticed the bit of the Spit to Manly walk, you know, during the, the B-roll of that. So um, it was interesting back in the North Shore and now back to the east again. And this, you know, like they've taken the camera at work up a notch in the cars. Um, I can only, the cameras must have taken up like half of the dashboard in the Porsche. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like it looks like carpool karaoke like and and i swear like i'm just waiting for someone to get in the back seat like flee from the red hot chili peppers where's james corden hey jen thanks for helping me get to work today but they're they're not they're um they're actually on the way to monica's yeah so monica's so, uh, extended the invitation to the uh traditional chinese family dinner and look it's it's reminiscent of the shabbat dinner that we saw uh at the cohen family residence in season one uh, and Monica really goes to lengths to explain during the dinner that um, in the, in Chinese culture, inviting someone into your home for dinner with the family is the the ultimate of business respects paid. And uh, again, it's a really nice piece about uh, the relationship between buyer's agent, seller's agent and family. We see uh, Monica and obviously her husband, Jad, uh, her daughter, who it's um, indicated that she works at Black Diamonds as well, perhaps, in property management, which I didn't realise, uh, and then obviously Jen, Simon, and uh, and Tammy along for the ride. Yeah, so it's interesting because you know we saw a bit of food disagreement in season one with poor old Miss Australia who was vegan and Simon ordering a a um, you know a medium rare steak or a very rare steak. Um, but um, so Monica's got this beautiful hot pot laid out, and um, you know, and it's a hot pot or a steamboat or you know traditional Chinese, and it sort of looks like she's trolling them a bit too with um, you know like let's give Simon some pelicans feet, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I. And I I thought, oh, that's that's really cute. But, um, you know, Simon walks in and says, well, this is not the sort of Chinese food that, you know, that we get from Uber Eats from the China Diner in Double Bay. Look, it's definitely uh, not the sweet and sour pork and combination chow mein that I get at the Bogor RSL Club either. It was the absolute <laughs> real deal. It was, uh, yeah, genuine Chinese food. Yeah, and it's really nice the way that the two families were sort of talking and I think, um, you know, it was a bit business, a bit pleasure. Um, you know, Simon's got a buyer, Monica's got a property which we're about to go and visit and they all cheers together and they say cheers to the twos and the Coens and automatically I thought it's the twins. Exactly where my head went as well, it's the twins. <laughs> it's the twins. So we might, we might be able to use that um, later sometime as well. So... Um, we're coming to the end of episode two, and now we're going to visit Delene's Clifftop House. Um, and so Simon arrives at the house. He's not wearing socks and just made a mental note again that we need to send Simon some elite agent socks. Um, you know, and Simon says to Delene, would you believe out of the two clifftops I'm looking at, one's yours and one's Gavin's? And I'm like, well, you know, this is your show. So, you know, like we have to create some, some drama here. Um, but um, that's pretty much it for episode two. We're done, done, done with episode two. And um, obviously it's a cliffhanger because now we're left wondering as viewers whether Simon is going to choose Delene's cliff top or Simon's cliff, oh, sorry, or Gavin's cliff top for his buyer. Yeah, correct. The one that Gavin said, don't F me on 18 times. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So um, on to episode three, um, yeah. where we pick up from that cliff top house 
And um, I have to say, like, you know, that house, I thought the kitchen looked amazing, but Simon doesn't do kitchens, um, you know, so he pretty quickly asks where the bedroom is, where the bathroom is, because, you know, there's all those lovely shower moments between him and Gavin in the bathroom. Delene starts talking about sunrises and sunsets and... Simon falls in a little bit in love with Delene, I think, at the time, you know, like picturing yeah. the sunrises and sunsets. And then he kind of says, well, I think this is the one I'm going to have to call and call Gavin. And immediately yeah. I just yeah. went, <gasps> Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my breath. Well. And look, it's a really, uh, this, this scene is uh, another indication of Simon really being a lot softer in his approach this year than he was last year. And again, it's because I think that he can't afford to be that bullish Nah, it's a knockdown like he was last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting though, like, and I think this is a real theme is, um, and we're going to see this play out really shortly, like we're coming to sort of like a bit of a, you know, I guess a bit of a, you know, a wrapping up of the first three episodes. But um, it's really interesting to me how what's going on might not necessarily suit them but they're keen to do the best for their client. Like, you know, like I'm assuming that for Simon and Gavin's friendship, which I'm assuming goes back a long way, um, you know, Simon could easily just keep the peace with Gavin, but he chooses the property that he thinks is going to be best for his client. Yeah, correct. And again, we, we saw it in season one, and I'm really glad that we're seeing it again now, is that ultimately at the forefront of every pivotal moment of the show and every decision that each of these agents make, it really is a client-first prospect every time, and that doesn't waver. Um, and I think that's really important from an industry point of view to show that even those that are the cream of the crop um, to the general public, ultimately what we do is for the betterment of our clients that entrust us with, with their buying or selling needs. Yeah. And so this is another thing that plays out in Sydney a lot. And Ben Collier is a master at this. So so Gavin doesn't know what's going on between Simon and Delene. He's on his way over to the north side to find George somewhere to live after he sold his amazing clifftop. Um, and this happens like, you know, I think there's a few agents that I've um, – you know, talk to that are masters at this. So, you know, like Will Ainsworth, um, you know, when there is no deals to be done and no stock to be have had, start looking for deals. And so Gavin knows to get George to move, he's got to get him out of that property and into another one. So he's on his way over to Shelley Beach, which he calls the Point, Pi Point Piper, sorry, of the North Shore. And I don't know, I think Kirribilli or McMahon's Point's probably the Point Piper of North Shore, but let's not get let that get in the way of a good story. Um, this one's got direct access to the beach and um, and we see a second appearance of Michael and Cherie. Yeah, the back, the glamour couple are back. And look, they are showing an absolute glamour of a home. The uh, position of this place in Shelley Beach is next level. The scene of Gavin walking up to the property from the front, like the beach front side, um, is spectacular. The house itself, not that great. It's okay. Um, although they talked very quickly about oh don't worry about the kitchen it can be remodeled i thought the kitchen was quite all right i didn't think that there was much wrong with that kitchen but um look i'm also not living in a 20 to 25 million dollar home on shelly beach where there's probably different expectations um, I, I, I still had Coogee family in my brain just going but yeah. Coogee, like yeah. yeah why would you leave it anyway um i think that this is a this scene shows a really good um, balance of the masculinity and femininity of Clark and Hummel as agents and how the how they do this walkthrough as selling agents with Gavin, who's essentially 
almost acting as a quasi buyer's agent on behalf of his vendor. Um, and I think that that was a really good showcase of the skill that Clark and Hummel have. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, that kudos to them for, for getting involved. Um, it's, it's a lot of real estate agents speak. It's sort of agents not stroking each other's egos, but definitely talking the talk and, and um, pumping each other's tyres up. And, yeah, look, the, the location here is, is tremendous. Yeah. I've interviewed Michael and Cherie and I remember like it was very early days when they just, um, you know, just opened Clark and Hummel. And I remember him talking about how he was sort of like, you know, I guess more of the quintessential sales guy where Cherie's, um, you know, she's actually a trained architect, I think, from memory. Um, and she's also grown up in that area, in that manly area, and there's not too many houses that she wouldn't be able to describe by name, not just by, oh, that's 10 Smith Street Manly, but that's 10 Smith Street Manly, and it was designed by this architect in this year, and, you know, like, whether it's heritage, like, you know, she's just like an encyclopedia. And I remember sitting back listening to the two of them just going, how does anyone in Manly even beat you guys, you know, because yeah. it's just such a unique... Um, you know, skill set, I think. And I think a good learning point for other agents to that is that typically the agents that are absolutely at the top of the game have immense technical knowledge about the area yeah. that they work and, and about the product that they're dealing with. Um, and yeah, Sheree Hummel is the epitome of that technical knowledge about um, what they're dealing with. But I think that we see the same from Gavin and from Delene as well, that they intimately know at the drop of a hat, and I think all agents need to know this within their marketplace, what traded for when, to who and from who, how long it took to sell, uh, what the current market appraisal would be. They, they know this stuff inherently. I think that the agent, that's probably the best tip to any up and coming agents is to really familiarise yourself with the, the intimate details of, of, of that um, information within your market. Yeah. If you're wondering what hyperlocal knowledge is, that's it. Yep. Like, you know, what, what you see there from Cherie, which is which is pretty amazing. So, um, you know, Gavin sort of smiles a lot and says, yeah, you could convert me from the north to the east. And I'm thinking, that's such bullshit. We'll never convert you. <laughs> <laughs> You're eastern suburbs through and through, mate. But, um, but finally, you know, they talk like real estate agents for what seems like forever. And then finally, you know, Gavin gets the phone call. Simon's obviously called and Simon sort of reminds me a bit like Denver the Guilty Dog, you know, that video. <laughs> There's a famous video on YouTube, you know, because he knows that, you know, like he's got to break the news about Delene's clifftop being a better fit. Um, obviously, Gavin's reaction is exactly as expected and steams from absolutely everywhere. Yeah, Gavin's been steaming a lot this season so far with the, um, the meeting with the Whites, uh, Remy announcing her pregnancy, and now this deal not going ahead after he's put his uh, ass on the line. Um, yeah, it hasn't been a good first three episodes for Gavin, really. Yeah. And then we find out, and this is something that comment, this, this, this can happen in, in real estate a lot too, is we cut to a conversation between Delene and Sebastian. And, um, you know, apart from talking morning routine and kids and gym and work and showing up as the best version of yourself, blah, blah, tick all those boxes. Um, the UFO house is, um, despite Tammy's low ball offers uh, of, I think, 18 million she offered, um, has sold for 24 million. So that's just ridiculous record per square meter and then the other shoe drops in that Delene says the cliff house has fallen through and the owners don't want to sell anymore because they can't find somewhere else so obviously this house of cards now has just fallen over completely 
And um, so now Delene's got to make um, the Denver phone call to Simon to say, sorry, Simon, but, you know, the house is not for sale anymore. Yeah, that's right. And that's going to be a tough one. And look, I think Delene uh, is probably a little bit more experienced in this stuff. And this is certainly not the first time that this has happened to Delene, I'm sure. And for her, it's just part of the process. And, and she very um, curtly says, sometimes these things just don't work out and it wouldn't be in the best interest of my client to try and force them out. Um, ultimately, they don't want to move. I'm not going to try and make them move. Yeah, and that's, again, you know, putting putting the best interests of the client over because I'm sure that would have been a nice, tidy deal for Delene, but but um, she's playing the long game too, so to speak. So all, all we've got left now in this episode is um, is a birdhouse, which is Monica's property. And, um, you know, all I can think of every time they said birdhouse was, um, you know, Simon's altercation with that, you know, bird on his car windscreen. <laughs> And you can tell the producers are kind of trolling him a bit because we zero in on this rainbow lorikeet on a balcony and the rainbow lorikeet's just looking shifty, <laughs> like you know, like he's like he's about to sort of scare Simon and then there's kookaburras laughing in the background and finally Simon admits that he's freaked out by birds since, since the Beamer incident last year, but this is not an Alfred Hitchcock movie. This, um, you know, this is something that he's looking for for a client, I think it was Graham, that called him on the way to Monica's the other night. So, um, so yeah, interesting house, this one as well. Yeah, it is an interesting house, an interesting case for the client here, Graham, who mentions that he's from the country originally. Um, he's got up to $10 million to spend, wants to be in a family-friendly house where his kids can still have some element of being in nature and not being in uh, a concrete jungle, uh, which is ultimately what most of the city is. So this seems like it could be the answer to that. Um, when Monica's talking about the birdhouse, um, it sounds like it's going to tick a lot of boxes. We get to the walkthrough with Monica showing uh, Simon and Tammy through, and it looks like it's got a lot of promise. It's, uh, it's a pretty remarkable house. Well, Monica points out the French cooktop, but she doesn't know that Simon doesn't care about the kitchen yeah, <laughs> and he cares about the, yeah. the bathroom and the, and the master. And I think, um, you know, we saw a bit of sass from Tammy, thank goodness, um, in this episode where she says the chandelier just looks like a, a earrings from a $2 shop. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's you know, just a little bit of a, a, bit of a thing there. But, um, you know, I think the, 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 the thing that I would love in this house would be that cheese room. Um, you know, the cheese room and the wine rack, it's just like Friday night, take me there. 100%. And the the, um, the stone wall that um, has condensation on it to, to show you that the, the temperatures are right for keeping this elaborate um, collection of red wine. Um, Monica, not batting an eyelid um, at some surprise that there's a cheese room by saying, all my houses have cheese rooms, darling, another darling. Um, yeah, yeah, she's the absolute queen. I love her. Yeah, absolutely. And goes for the clothes. What do you think? And Simon just says, no, too many floors. Bi has a young family. They don't want stairs. Yep. So, um, so that that kind of rules the line under the under the birdhouse. But now we're going back to the east, and um, you know, I sort of feel like it was just outside. You know, the the bakehouse there. You know, back behind Woolworths, we see a pram. This is not a drill, by the way, Dave. I don't know whether this would happen in Wagga or not. A golden retriever puppy 
being pushed around in a pram. Yeah, like a vintage stroller. It was, uh, yeah, these people in the East are weird. People think that I'm weird coming from Wagga, but look, this shit doesn't happen down there. <laughs> yeah, look, I, 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 yeah, no, um, I wouldn't, yeah, not even when he was a puppy would... <laughs> um, my my puppy dog Dave get um, good name by the way. Dave's not for the pram. Um, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So moving along swiftly, um, Gavin's back in the Lambo off to see um, the Rambo or the Rimbo or whatever Rambo. it is. Yep. And because um, Remy hasn't been feeling too well, um, you know, being with child and all the rest of it, and I know how awful that that feels. But um, Gavin um, was is still freaking out a bit about losing Remy, but he's come with a bit of a peace offering, which is like a mini suit for a mini Gav yeah. or Gav 2.0. And yeah. I'd like to think, you know, he's, he's probably got in his mind that, you know, like he's already got him a subscription to a lead agent before he's yeah. even born and he's entered him in the domain trailblazer contest. This yep. kid's got a big future in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Jared and he are talking on the way to Remy's about how he's going to go visit Remy because she's been under the weather. She's not working at the moment. She's battling with... Uh, morning sickness. Meanwhile, Remy opens the door to her apartment looking like she's just finished a shoot for a Decuba catalogue, like she's glamour from head to toe. <laughs> she looks amazing. She doesn't look sick at all. Uh, and yeah, look, Gav has the peace offering, I suppose. Um, and he, I think he's really heartfelt in, in explaining to Remy. And it seems like he's this kind of leader that the people in Gavin's team know exactly where they stand with him and know what it feels like to be appreciated as a contributor to the team because um, this doesn't come as any surprise to Remy that she's probably going to be a little bit sorely missed and she jokes that it's going to be up to her to um, start interviewing for the replacement Remy. Um, but look, I, I think that that's probably going to be um, a, a gap to bridge and not a, a permanent thing because she seems pretty committed to that team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, let's 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 be real about this. Unemployment's just dro dropped below four percent, I think, for the first time. And like, I think whoever replaces Remy has to be like literally a Donna or a double yeah. Donna, Donna two point oh. Yeah. Um, so I don't want that job of recruitment. So maybe no. you know, who do we call? I don't know. There's plenty of real estate recruiters out yeah, there. Yeah, there's but a lot. A job. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think we're about to get to the end of this episode where Simon tries to call Gavin again to, you know, sort of see if he'll talk to him. And, you know, like this is like, uh, you know, the, the bro the bro breakup here is like killing me basically. Yeah. Um, but um, you can sort of see that there's a lot of emotions there between people. And really the deal is sort of like let's recap. So um, Simon had a buyer, looked at two cliff tops. Um, wanted Delene's in the end. Gavin had gone back to his guy and said, here's, you know, we've, we've, we've got a buyer with deep pockets. Um, Delene's buyer says, no, um, we're not selling because we can't find somewhere crazy Sydney market. Gavin says, no, I'm not going back to my, um, I'm not going back to my potential seller again because, you know, I don't want to risk the friendship. And um, yeah, everyone says F a lot to end this episode. A lot of help is the final of, of episode three. Um, and look, I, I think they've done a really good edit in building some drama with Simon sitting in his office, desperately trying to get through the gap as soon as he hears that the Delane deal's uh, no good, or as soon as he's back to the office from the uh, birdhouse where he has heard about the Delane deal not going ahead. Um, the he, he's really sweating bullets as Gavin's not answering his phone. It pans over to a couple of Simon's teammates who are also in the same office who can obviously hear him starting to 
uh, lose his cool a little. Tammy's in the office with him, urging uh, Gavin to pick up the bloody phone, and he finally does. And yeah, look, Gavin tells him straight that look, mate, you had your shot, uh, you missed out, and I'm not going back to that client because I've risked it once, and I'm not going to risk it again. Yeah, absolutely. Which you can, which you can sort of understand. But yeah, I like. I think I heard once. You know, I was talking to an agent that had like, like it was like a, it's like dominoes when they start falling. You know, like you, you know, you you've almost got to sort of like plug the the dike so that the others don't fall when you've got someone, you know, moving from one place to the other, and every sale depends on another sale. And you yeah. know, like it, it's just. Um, I think again, like you know, it'd be interesting to see how the three of these people pick themselves up in episode four and move forward I mean there's always going to be another listing there's always going to be another deal but that was a big one to fall over for all three of them yeah correct and I think that this um, fallout is going to uh, really show just how resilient these top agents and top performers are and what they do to pick themselves up and move on to the next deal we saw a little bit of it in season one with Delene losing a listing that she'd been working on and she was all class and um, really did just pick herself up and, and move on to the next deal. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Simon and Gav bounce back. Gav probably wasn't as cool and calm and collected as I thought he may have been um, in this situation with George Toomer. Again, it's probably got something to do with the fact that he has somewhat mixed business and pleasure and, and put himself out on the line a little. Um, but I mean, ultimately, I mean, there was no deal done. Simon's probably counted his chickens a little too early here on the Delane deal. Um, there was obviously no um, perhaps offer and acceptance, but no contract or anything like that. Um, I think that in practice, you would probably have let Gavin stew on that a little bit more until you had something a bit more solid from Delane's um, buyer before breaking the news to Gavin that, that his house didn't win out in the end. But look, oh, it's all for TV. And it's all, and hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Correct, 100%. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of our little journey through episodes one, two, and three. Um, I have loved it so far. I'm really looking forward to episodes four, five, and six, which hopefully, like, because they're single episodes, it won't be as long as this one. Do you feel like we've just had a bit of a marathon? Yeah, I think so. I think we had a marathon on the recap, and we've had a marathon now on the first episode of season two. This is the deluxe nuts going, you know, going hard. Yep. yep. That's how dedicated we are. That's what fan, That's what super fans we are. Super fans do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dave, I hope you will join me again next week for another episode of Deluxe Nuts, uh, where we recap all things Lux Listing. It's been amazing having you on and good luck in your new role. Beautiful. Thanks, Sam. Can't wait. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.